Richard Parker. Man, I, it's so hard for me to remember because I've known you as uh, Made Rich since the beginning. Yes, Made Rich. Um, at your convention, you want to label me as Mad Rich. That was cute, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I called you at the convention, Mad Rich? Yeah. You know, my nameplate really said Mad Rich. That's awesome. I don't think that, I don't think I did that, but <laughs> that was probably the uh, Pipe and Drape Company. So, oh, okay. you know, with the tattoo conventions, you know how you have the Pipe and Drape Company. The Pipe and Drape Company we had last year was horrible, dude. They didn't have us oh. totally set up until midway through Saturday. I don't know if you got Gee. if you got affected by that at all. Uh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Because Joey yeah. will call me Mad Rich, too. So I'm like, all right, I guess it's an Ink Master thing. <laughs> Joey Hamilton? Yeah. That's awesome. So let's start off with that, man. So which season season or seasons were you on? Seasons. Seasons. Which seasons were I, you on? I did not have what it takes multiple times, but I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> Season three and season nine, man. It You're in a good company, time. dude. I got, I got kicked off a bunch as well. <laughs> <laughs> So season yep. three and season nine. So season three was with Joey's season. And what was season nine? Season nine, that was the first year DJ one with Bubba. I think it was oh, called yeah. Shockboys. Damn, that motherfucker's won three times. Isn't he that might crazy? as well be a host at this point. I know. He's great. He's a great artist, man. I, I don't think uh, – I think he definitely deserves it to, without a doubt. Um, I think Josh, Josh Payne's probably one of my favorites on the show too, man. That dude, like, I just feel like they, those two guys can tattoo anything. And they won season 10, I think, by together, right? Was on, yep. They were on the same team. He was the coach, yep. and then uh, Josh was the, uh, I guess, the apprentice or however they had it laid out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to see them against each other. That would be interesting. Yeah, interesting. I never even thought about that. So, how was your stint on Ink Master? Did you did you enjoy the experience? Do you feel like season three was more fun than season ten? Like, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? I feel like realistically, they were two completely different experiences for me. Um, I'll say season three. I was very green in the industry. I was very young. I think I was twenty four, twenty five. I was fresh out of college, just opened up my first tattoo shop. Um, I was very much a student of the game, a student of the art. I feel like I'm going to always be a student, but at that point it was like, I'm just soaking up everything from whoever is willing to share it to me. And I really didn't hop into that platform with much of a competitive mind state. Um, so I feel like with me coming into the house with that energy, it created a lot of long-term relationships and friendships and genuine connections. But knowing it's a television show, it created a lot less conflict on air and it granted me a lot less camera time. So, you know, I enjoyed what I learned from it, who I was able to build with, but watching the show, it was like, where were you, Rich? But it, that was- Yeah, you gotta fight more, man. You gotta fight more. So <laughs> coming back on season nine, no, I'm not going to hold you. Well, hold on, hold on. I want to back up real quick. Right. So season three, um, how long had you been tattooing by the time you got on season three? <sighs> three years. Three years. Holy shit, man. So you were real green. Yeah. That's crazy. And three years and being self-taught so is like super duper green. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, dude, I, I always tell everybody I learned more in two months at a tattoo shop than I did the first year and a half tattooing out of my house. So yeah, I think uh, having someone to kind of guide you through at least the the first couple years of of tattooing is is pretty pretty necessary if you want to like kind of get ahead a little bit. I was always jealous of the people that had apprenticeships uh, back when I first started. So season three, you get there and you see that you're competing against Joey Hamilton. And I think Jimmy Litwock was on that season. And of course, Tattoo Baby was on that season. And then who else? You had some other Craig Foster on that season as well. Oh yeah. Craig, Craig's a killer, man. So you had Craig Foster. Who else? Um, I'll say out of the people that I put at like, Idols, it was them. And then it was um Josh Hibbard. Um oh, yeah. Jackie Jennings. Yes. What's his name? Klukey? Who? <laughs> What's Josh Hibbard's rap name? Klukey or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the rap name he was rapping. You know he's a rapper now? Oh, <laughs> Whatever floats his boat. Uh, <laughs> Whatever floats his boat. Um I had Mystical Mike. Mystical Mike was entertainment. Dude, Mystical Might's probably my favorite person that's ever been on Ink Master. That guy is so fun to watch. <laughs> Doing cartwheels and shit. Oh, yeah, man. Him getting eliminated was probably, ironically, one of the saddest days of the house. <laughs> oh, was it? Like, he was the entertainment. Because you know we had no TVs. So it was the Mystical Mike show. Bless you. We all just sit around the couch and just watch Mystical Mike perform. Like, he was the guy. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually was uh, I was at the New England Tattoo Convention, and um, Clean, Clean was actually tattooing Mystical Mike. I've got to meet him a couple times. He's definitely a, a fun, entertaining person to be around. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I really appreciated meeting and interacting with him off camera. Because it really was able to solidify in me mentally, like this is actually genuinely you, and it, you know, and it wasn't a TV facade, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure you had to deal with a little bit of that too. I don't know that you had any like heavy personalities on your season where it was like a super facade. I feel like the super facade started popping in, you know, clean and and uh, who else? There's a, there's a couple of them that were like. You know, as soon as the camera's on, they were just a completely different human. St. Mark was another one. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love St. Mark uh, off camera, but on camera, he seems like he was uh, not fun to be around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that sometimes. So, you know? So mm -hmm. you, you show up, you get the, so walk me through the beginning. So that you get a phone call or you try it out. How did you get on the show? I applied for season three. Um, Got it. Previous to Ink Master, I was applying the Best Ink when that was a show on Oxygen. When Oxygen was a network, I don't even know if Oxygen's still a network anymore. But um, I had applied for that. <laughs> I actually was a finalist out of the people that they choose. They flew me out to LA, interviewed me there. Um, I just wasn't the fit, so I didn't get anything other than a free trip to LA. But um, it really just kept the bug in my back to just keep applying for these shows because I, I felt like, all right, if y'all are that much interested to fly me out and put me through that psych evaluation test, I think it was like 500 questions. I hated it. But if I'm, uh, if I'm good enough for y'all to fly me out, then it's like, all right, I do have a shot somewhere. I really just have to keep going. 
Um, but I um I just applied, man. And I felt like they was hitting me with wild short deadlines of like when to get things in. So it kind of made me feel like it was a situation where it was going to be me or someone else. Like I was kind of competing for a character role. Um, then they hit me up asking me to do one of those like testimonial kind of videos. And I just remember me and my homegirl sitting in my tattoo shop, no lie, probably till like six in the morning, shooting and editing like a three minute video just for Ink Master. It was probably, it was weird because it's like, I'm having to give all of this real emotion and character to a camera. And that was the first time I really had to do that without me speaking to somebody. By that time, I didn't know anything about how green screen interviews were conducted or anything. So it was just hard being authentic to nobody. But knowing when they receive it, there's going to be someone else seeing that and having that moment with me. But it was it was an interesting interview tape. I actually just came across it on YouTube not too long ago. Um, I kind of don't want to watch it. I feel like it's going to be cringeworthy. But, <laughs> Dude, but uh, we need to get that after we record this. I'm gonna throw it up as a commercial or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll see. And after that, though, like every time I went back, they just called me. I, I feel like they just rocked with me enough to f- do what they needed me to do to just call me up. So I did season nine, but I also did um a redemption and a grudge match episode. That's awesome. So I, I'm I'm still curious about season three because I you know I know all the thoughts that I had going into you know season two and trying to like just wrap your head around this surreal situation that you just found yourself in right and so tell me like you so you get accepted on Ink Master they they don't tell you that you're accepted until like what five minutes before they need you to fly out is that how it worked basically it's and so I feel like from start to you, finish it's like Hurry up, do it now, but wait. <laughs> we might have someone else. We might have someone else. So then you're not telling anyone, and then all of a sudden, you're not even t- you're trying to tell your clients yep. that you have to cancel on them, but you're not totally sure you have to cancel on them because you may not get on the show. So you're in this weird little limbo, and then all of a sudden they're like, "All right, you need to be out here in three days," and you're like, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh shit!" You calling all your clients. Telling them that uh, that you have to cancel their appointment, yeah. but you can't tell them why. Yep. So you have to tell them they have some weird sickness or something, and you'll be back in two months. <laughs> weird sickness is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so then you you hop on the plane or you drive to New York. Oh, I'm I'm in New York. I'm in Queens, so they just sent me to Uber. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. And so you just you just drove over. Did you have to stay at a hotel prior to recording, or did you just go straight to I mean, where did you go from there? They did send me to a hotel. Um, I think it was, it might have been one night, maybe two nights. I'm not sure. I really don't remember. It was so long ago. But I know those nights, I was trying to think about everything that I could do to prepare for whatever journey this was about to be. Um, I still have my sketchbooks from back then. Like, I was sitting there just sketching up tattoo designs and like all styles from previous years that they've had the artists do i was just trying to prep myself as much as i could knowing damn well like everything was subject to change yeah so let me ask you this i think everybody tries to prepare themselves for ink master do you feel like anything that you did to prepare yourself was useful 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Not That's a thing. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I feel like everyone across the board is like, man. It's like I did all these things to prepare and it was just dumb stuff like try to draw a traditional rose because I'd never done one of those before. And of course, none of that was used. Nothing. You know, every time I thought that I was going to be in a position where I might possibly use something that I practiced, uh, I wasn't. So I think that's funny. It's it's what it is. And it's like, I don't know if it's because we're just not preparing ourselves properly, but I would hi- I would really hate to think that none of us are properly preparing ourselves or if it's the fact that while we're in that space in that time under that clock everything that we've done just goes out the window i honestly dude i don't know if you, how the fuck do you prepare for a show that's trying to make you do things you've never done before for example you know make a make a portrait out of a bunch of thumbtacks like <laughs> how do you prepare for that i really but, like know, the flash challenges that I enjoyed the they most. They were fun. They were interesting, for sure. Uh, but, you know, how do you prepare for that? Even the tattoo challenges, it seemed like as the seasons went on, the challenges got more and more just ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like, how do you prepare for that? You, you need to tattoo this person's eyeball. Yeah. You know, like, we need you to do a portrait on this person's eyeball. Oh, <laughs> it's like, I how are you going to prepare for that? Oh, I would have freaking crapped myself <laughs> an eyeball like dude when i when i got on the first episode of season two we went we went to a morgue i don't know if you remember that yes we had to tattoo at a morgue and i swear i i thought i was gonna have to tattoo a dead person of course that's what they wanted you yeah. to think but i'm like sitting there and they've got this sheet over top of this i don't know blow up doll or whatever but at the time i'm looking at it, i'm like I'm about to tattoo a dead person <laughs> on the first episode on national TV. And it's like, I, you know, I think I was a similar to you where it was like, I'd never really been in front of a camera uh, often. And I was definitely very uncomfortable in front of a camera. So I'm sitting here about to tattoo a dead person with a bunch of cameras around me and a bunch of people who want to see me kicked off the show immediately. And uh, it was very, very nerve wracking. So I, I don't know how you prepare for that stuff. I mean, it's a psychological game. It's an artistic game. I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff. I would think the crazy thing is if I walked into a room and it was a dead person, I had a tattoo. The beauty of that process would be that if I messed this tattoo up, they wouldn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't even care about the dead person. I care about the cameras that are watching me (laughs) tattoo this piece of shit on this dead person. Freaking um all right, so so season so three hotel for a couple nights. Oh go ahead. They had us um our first episode, our first walk in, you know, you had that hard ice drop to wherever you're going. We ended up tattooing in a prison and they really thought us they, they had us thinking we were actually tattooing inmates with a single needle. I remember that. Like I'm a single I don't I've never even purchased a single needle before. That's <laughs> they only come in seven packs, five packs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but hey just for the people who who don't know can you explain what hard ice is oh my fault <laughs> <laughs> that's something i don't know that a lot of people know what that means so yeah yeah so hard ice is basically when the cast is together and they don't want us to talk to each other because they don't want us to like 
let out any information without the cameras being up. So. Or emotions. Uh, so you might be super pissed off. And if you have a chance to, to let it out while the cameras aren't on, then they don't get to capture that moment. So, so they'd have ice and ice was kind of like, listen, guys, don't talk hard. Ice was like, if you talk, we're going to blow your brains out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you were coming from the, you were coming from the, the, uh, hotel. Yeah. You guys were on hard ice. And then you walk into this prison. Where was this? Was this a prison that was in New York or New Jersey? Where was it? It was in Long Island. Um, oh, Long Island. Okay. And after the fact, after we realized, okay, these aren't actually inmates when they walked in for the elimination tattoo, um, I had... <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. They walk in in like orange suits with handcuffs around their feet. That's what they should have did. They should have had them walk in with the orange suits into the production studio. That would have blew our brains. But um, the prison was actually a prison that's used for filming and production. So I'm pretty sure it's the same prison that people see on Law & Order or any of those like shows that are heavily shot in the prisons or whatever. But um, it was... Yeah. I don't want to sound crazy saying it was cool to be inside of a prison. But it was... <laughs> It was cool in that moment thinking that you're actually tattooing a prisoner. Right. As opposed to a dead person. <laughs> Even, oh, like, I think we're pretty cool. <laughs> Those are great ways to start a season. <laughs> so when you're, so you guys are, you're at the hotel, you get in on a, was it the, a bus or SUV or something and you head over to the prison, but you don't know you're heading over there. Nope. And, when you're in this SUV, who's in the who's in the SUV with you? I don't remember. There was probably like three other castmates, but um, at the time, I was on hard ice, and right. I didn't even know that these were castmates in the van with me. Gotcha. So it wasn't like you saw Jimmy Litwalk or or Joey or any of the people that you knew in the industry already. Nah, it was just some random people that you thought you were catching a ride with like an Uber XL or something. Basically, basically nobody that I knew <laughs> was in the van. Um, it wasn't until all the vans pulled up and let everybody out. It was kind of like, Oh, okay. And so, <laughs> so how many, how many contestants were there on season three? Was it, was it 16? or 16. Was it I think it was 16 for okay, the first 16. few seasons. Yeah. I think they ended up cutting it after, after I think we played season four or five. So you get out of the SUV and then you see, you know, Joey and Jimmy and Tattoo Baby and all that stuff. So what are your thoughts then? Are you like, I'm going to beat these motherfuckers or I am not going to win this thing? I had to grow into my confidence because I definitely did not have <laughs> it at that point in my career at all. Um, I don't know exactly what the first thing that came to my mind was other than the fact that like, damn, like I study these people's work. I have Jimmy's books. Like, these are people who I look up to. And um, if I'm not going to beat them, let me get as close to beating them as I can. And then hopefully I can also learn something from them in this process. <laughs> but um, I looked at the, that first season really as like football camp. Like, I, you know, I come from a sports background. But um, I looked at it as like, all right, we're going into this camp. Everybody wants to start, so it's going to be a competition amongst the people at your position, but at the end of the day, everyone's going to have to learn from and help each other. 
for sure. Yeah. Did you feel that when you were like, you know, obviously when the cameras are on, everybody's fighting and they won't all want to win. But when the cameras are off, it's kind of like going to art school in a way. Everybody's kind of yes. help. I mean, was that like that on your season? Cause it was like that on my season. It almost felt like I was in art school. We were all getting prepared for a critique and, you know, I didn't even really wrap my head around. Oh, I hope this guy gets kicked off or, you know, I hope I win this or whatever. It was just like trying to do the best you could to make, you know, to impress the judges and hopefully not get, hopefully not get kicked off. Yeah, that was definitely the energy for me during season three. Um, I felt like it was very easy for the other artists to embrace me just because I didn't come in with a big head on my shoulders. Like I didn't, I wasn't the artist that's like, oh, I'm the man knowing like I can't really stand in my own shoes. And um, I actually bought my first Neotat off of Jimmy while in the house. Um, I remember- You weren't trying to, huh? you weren't trying to be a cake cutter is what you're saying. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. That was a, was that was really- season one or was it your season? It was my season, man. I remember him starting to talk shit on the very right when right when we were tattooing, we were supposed to be tattooing the dead people. We started talking shit, and I was right next to him, and I was like, "Man, I do not want to be this dude's enemy." <laughs> and, I, and I looked right at him. I looked right at him. I said, "Dude, you and I are gonna be friends because I definitely don't want to be on the on the ass end of your shit talking because he was so good at talking shit." Oh, and it's looking at it in hindsight. Production knows how to push you into what they want out of you. That is true. You know, so it's like, they'll know how to take a cast member and be like, so what are you going to be like this season? Um, how confident are you? Are you going to stand up for your work? Are you going to talk down on people because your work is better than them? You know, they'll do what they got to do to mold you into a direction they need you in. So I'm pretty sure they done hyped him up before he even walked in there. He was looking in the mirror like, yeah, I am the man. No one can tell me nothing. Got to that house. Well, house. <laughs> it was interesting because I didn't get pushed to talk any shit that season at all. I, you know, I got along with everyone, but I think that's exactly what happened. Cause I noticed certain people just getting pissed off all of a sudden. And it seemed very kind of out of nowhere. I was just like, why are they so mad? And, you know, I, I assume exactly what you're saying is the producers were back there being like, yo, did you hear what Kay Cutta said about you? Yeah. Or, you know, telling Kay Cutta, yo, these guys think that you suck. And, you know, just kind of like putting those little seeds of <clears throat> seeds of discontent in your brain and making you uncomfortable in the scenario you're at. And it works, man. It works on, I mean, it, I, I hate to say it, it worked on me too. They had me thinking certain things about certain people. Um, they would look at a scenario and they'd be like, hey, did you, What'd you think about that time that person said that thing about you? And you'd be like, I don't know. I didn't really think of anything of it. And you're like, well, that was kind of disrespectful. And you're like, well, maybe it was. <laughs> then you know, just starts going from there, man. They, they really amped it up. I don't know how it was with you, but between season two and season seven, when I got on season seven, I mean, it was, it was chaos. Like they were, they had all the, strings necessary to pull and make everyone as upset as they needed did you feel a substantial shift between three and nine now i don't know if that shift that i felt was from production tightening up and figuring out how to move people or if it was me coming to realizations to where we were in this competition 
Um, for sure. And that, how many? How much time was between season three and nine as far as years? Season three was 2013. Season nine was 2017. So four years. So you had four years to kind of like let season three marinate in your brain, learn from your mistakes, and kind of come back with a vengeance. Yeah. Now, and also, aside from the time lapse on Ink Master, like once I left Ink Master season three, I feel like we all go through like a mental artist breakdown to where for like our first few weeks of tattooing, we feel like we ain't shit. And then we get back to we where we were and then it gives us like a boost to like, all right, let's implement some of these things that I saw these other artists do. And it definitely helps catapult our work. But aside from just technically, I did a lot of traveling. Um, Joey, not Joey, Jimmy and Craig actually brought me overseas to the Brussels International Convention. I'm definitely grateful to them for that because that definitely opened up a door for me that I never saw opening. Um, From that one convention, I was doing three conventions in Europe a year for like the next three years. Uh, I was also building relationships in Italy and uh, tattooing on the Navy base in Italy. So I was in Europe a lot off of that. And with me being out there, and just watching social media really blossom, I was creating a lot of content. So I was doing videos, I had my videographer, I'd fly him out with me, and I got a lot more comfortable with just speaking on camera. So um, going into season nine off of, all right, I know what production's like, I know what the show is like, and I know I have a newfound confidence on camera I didn't like my view on season three. Like I felt like I was very, very humble as I should have been because of what, where I was, but I didn't know how to navigate myself into the storyline of the show. So I didn't get the camera time I wanted to. So going into season nine with all of these things built up in me, of course, I hopped in knowing, I'm like, all right, I got four more years of experience under me. I'm a much better tattoo artist. I really do have an edge on this because they had brought me back in. I'm in the space with my partner, and I brought um, one of the artists that worked with me in my studio because I felt like, all right, if I'm going to do this show, Shop Wars, then I'm going to bring one of my artists with me. It's going to help boost him. It's going to help boost the shop. We got two ink masters under a roof. Cool. I brought him with me. And you would think that someone who you work with, you've tattooed with. We've never tattooed with each other before, like on a client. So I respect his illustration immensely. Like he'll outdraw the shit out of me. But being that he has not been exposed to tattooing with that collective of kinds of artists and he hasn't really been around the world or doing conventions, his tattooing was never what his drawings were. So I felt that being there tattooing with him, it's like, all right, I'm kind of having to teach you how to tattoo like this for this house while in the competition. So it was an extreme crash course, man. Um, I don't know if I would have done it any differently, but um, it it had it, its 
difficulties just like season three. It was just different difficulties. <laughs> yeah, man, I I definitely felt a big shift between uh, two and, and seven as well. So when you were, uh, who did you, what was the, per, uh, sorry, what was the person's name that you brought on the show with you? DTAT, DTAT star. And he pulled a, he pulled. DTAT, okay. He was me on season three. Like as far as not being engaged in the show. <laughs> Jeez. So I think, dude, I, I think a lot of people, I think most people, I think it's very rare that you find people who can collaborate and not have a little bit of a struggle, you know, because I think that you've spent your whole life, your entire life, you know, being an artist. And then this other person spent their entire life being an artist where they're like a hundred percent in control of their artwork. And then now you go into a situation where you're 50% in control of your artwork and someone else is 50% in control of what you consider your artwork. If you're passionate about that piece. So I think that, you know, I think that's one thing that Ink Master discovered, you know, it took them a little while to discover it, but they discovered if they have, you know, people collaborate, that's where the friction starts, you know? So that's where they, I feel like a lot of people started collaborating, um, probably starting, I want to say around season five-ish or so, where you started seeing a lot of collaborative tattoos and art. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I will say I will definitely credit him and appreciate him for is the fact that once we got there, we did the first tattoo and he realized really what this was. He let me take the lead like it was egoless. He let me take the lead and was able to just humble himself, even though the fact that he's probably like 15 years older than me. He's been tattooing probably 15 years more than me, but he knew how to just play his position for the task. So I definitely appreciate cool. that. I definitely remember hearing, I mean, I've heard the stories multiple times. Matter of fact, I have a lot of respect for sausage as an artist and sausage and I butted heads a bunch, not in a negative way, but it was like my vision was different than his vision. And he had problems wrapping his head around what I wanted to do and vice versa. Um, you know, Sausage is such a cool dude. He kind of ended up running in my direction most of the time, um, almost to his demise. I think, <laughs> I think there's the one, I don't know if you recall this, but we were both doing wings on this uh, girl's back. And, you know, he ran with my direction and I could tell he was really uncomfortable and confused by where I was going. And I think he ended up getting kind of like some negative uh, feedback from the judges because of it. So. It's tough, man, collaborating with anyone. I mean, I've collaborated. Fuck, I've, I think I've collaborated with a lot of my really good friends. And, and I'm sure, you know, all of us in the end, I think, walk away with a little bit of, you know, discomfort in our brains uh, with that particular piece, just simply because I, I feel like everyone's very passionate about what they want to see out of a piece. And, um, you know, the best collaborations, in my opinion, is where you get someone who's really good at something but maybe weak at something else and then someone who's good at that thing and then weak at the other thing so everyone kind of has their own lane per se to stand in you know so if you have one artist who's really good at coloring but not so good at drawing then you know you that, that would be you know like what comic book artists do you know yeah you got your little you know, your sketcher and then you've got your inker and then you've got your color artist uh if you can get that 
the, the everyone to be in the lanes that they're comfortable in. I think that's where the best collaborations come out. Question for you. Now, with that sausage situation. Now, do you think, because I like to like do my own kind of like producing and directing and trying to pull this puzzle apart called Ink Master. Do you feel that the judges poked at that leaf because they genuinely saw something wrong with that leaf or they poked at it because you're mic'd and they hear y'all debating about it so it's something to bring up later oh for sure i mean you know i i think that there's at least on on most of the season as far as i understand they had four producers right and each one of those four producers had you know on the, if there's 16 artists then they would all have four artists and they need to focus on those four artists and start building a story for those four artists and figuring out how to get them to move and jive the way that they need them to move. Um, so I, I know for a fact, I mean, I, that was one of those things where I was like sitting there and I remember I was sitting on the couch and I'm just like in la la land thinking I'm, I'm new. I don't, nobody really knows me they don't have any reason to be upset with me. And then all of a sudden um, uh, Anthony was like, yeah, man, why are you talking shit about sausage? <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was completely caught off guard. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And he was like, you know, you said you were struggling collaborating with them. And, but they, the way he said it made it sound like I was talking shit. And I'm like, I'm not talking shit. I was simply just telling you, cause you asked how it was going, <laughs> how it was going. And uh, it's just the way that it was twisted. You know, I could just hear the producer kind of twisting it just a little bit yeah. where it sounded like it was a little more shady than it actually was. Very interesting, man. But um, I, I do. I think, you know, we both know now that that TV show would not be as successful as it is if there wasn't the, con you know, the conflict that it that there was. You know, I mean, we we know that for two reasons. One, uh, you know, we enjoy no matter what anybody says in the entire world, everyone enjoys watching a train wreck. Right. And also, there was another show that was exactly like that show that completely failed, which was the one you were talking about prior, which was Best Inc. And I think the reason it failed is it just didn't have enough conflict. It was a little too soft. You know, it didn't the, – there, there wasn't people bitching online. You know, I, I tell everybody this. When that whole uh, New Jersey Shore or whatever, I remember when that came out. And I, it was probably out for years. And I was just like, fuck that show. That's so lame. Why do you want to watch a bunch of people yelling and stuff? As soon as Snooki got kicked in the face or whatever, <laughs> I remember I went straight to YouTube and I was like, oh, I want to see this shit. You're and the next thing you know, I'm like learning the characters. I'm like, oh, man, the situation, you know, had her back and all this stuff. And I was just like, what the fuck? I just got sucked into this stupid ass show all because I wanted to see the drama, man. And I hate it. I hate to admit it, but I used to watch those reality shows all the time because I just liked watching the drama. It's so much easier to feel good about your life when you watch other people's lives going down the gutter right in front of your face. It's such a guilty pleasure, man. It's it's horrible, but it, it is what it is, man. People are going to tune in to bad things before they're going to tune into anything good. It is true, man. It's, it's, it's super true. I mean, we see it. We see it in politics. We see it in everything. The, the people who get, I mean, look at your boy Kanye, man. He's got all that attention because he's throwing people's cameras on the ground and he's he's just yelling about this, that, or whatever. And people love watching that train wreck, man. Yeah. It's not that they support him per se. I mean, I, I love Kanye's music, but like, 
I don't particularly support him as a human. This episode is brought to you by the Richmond Tattoo and Arts Festival. This year, J.D. Crow and I will be bringing you a massive list of talented artists such as Ryan Ashley, Dave Conant, Eddie Stacy, Kevin Leroy, Corey Miller, Sean Barber, Jack Rudy, and a ton of other artists. Some of the best of the best will be right here in Richmond, Virginia on October 20th through the 22nd. If you'd like more info, you can go to richmondtattooconvention.com. Hope to see you there. But I like watching him <laughs> throw people's cameras around. Oh my. I am a yay fan in all assets. Now, will I? can I say I agree and support everything he hold said? Hold on, hold on. Are you trying to say you're anti-Semitic, man? What's Not at all. What's going on here? We're going to have to cancel this shit. Not at all. We, we, need, we need to get off, man. Not at all. But <laughs> I, I will say I really enjoy the strategic creativity and how he curates his life. He rides that yes. fine line to keep you in tune. I mean, here's the question, though. Does he do it on purpose? I don't think he does. I hope he does. I think he's... Don't kill that joy uh, for me. It would be great. It would be awesome if he did. Like, I would have so much... I mean, not that... I'd have so much more respect for him if I knew he was doing this shit on purpose. But, man, like... <laughs> That's what I'm I holding on to. I don't think he is, dude. It, it, I really enjoy his, his creativity. I think he's super creative. I think he's, I mean, I, there's a lot of great things about him, but I also think he's a tad bit aloof on how he is perceived by the rest of the world. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. And I'm typically on the other side of this, this, this debate. Cause I do. I, most people I know hate Kanye. My girlfriend's one of them. <laughs> she's like, he's so aggressive. And I'm like, well, babe, he's, the dude has hit every fucking angle of hip hop that he could possibly hit and invented new angles on his own, you know, I just, I, I really, uh, and fashion, I really don't discredit his fashion and fashion. I, although I'm not a big fan of his fashion, but you know, I, I admire his, his, uh, his confidence to do what he's doing, but he does. I mean, when I see his fashion, it looks like he just, uh, pulled some shit off of like a, an old, uh, movie, you know, and the whole, like, so <laughs> some sort of peasants or something in my hopes and beliefs that, Yay really knows what he's doing. I look at his fashion like he's trolling the fashion industry. He works for these high price designers and delivers such a trashy looking appearance and is selling the stuff for thousands of dollars. I would hope and think that it's a strategic like troll. Dude, I hope so too, man. I would, I, I, I hope so too because I'll tell you, man, that that would be awesome. I just don't think it's the case. <laughs> he just don't I mean, tell me Satan's not real. I want it to be. I want it to be true, man. I I've been a Kanye fan for a long time. I mean, I want it to be true, but I just don't. I don't know, man. He's on a different planet. The dude is not. I don't. I don't think he's smart enough. To do that, I just don't. I mean, this is the dude who came up with a lyric that says, uh, "This chick bleached her asshole," and then I got her bleach from her asshole on my T-shirt. And that's hilarious. I mean, like <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> you remember the line? You see? 
I did, I did, but I just don't think it was like I don't think he sat down and wrote that line being like, Oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna get everybody everybody's gonna remember this shit. Yeah, you did I think he wrote that line <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think he did it on purpose. <laughs> I think he's naturally gifted to come up with these fucking ludicrous fucking lines that <laughs> uh, oh, whatever. I mean, but I dude, I, I really do. I, I'm not trying to, to to crush your dreams. I think we're on the same page here, except for the intellect level. I just don't <laughs> think he's that fucking smart. Santa is real. <laughs> uh, coming down the chimney, leaving the milk and cookies right. for him. <laughs> Give it to me, man. <laughs> um, all right. So talking about controversy. So you're on the new season of Black Ink. And that Hold show on. is all about talent, right? Hold on. Before we get to Black Ink, I want to tap in to my mental on season nine and how things unfold. Oh, okay. My fault. My fault. It's cool. Because it kind of segues into this controversy. So after me and D tattoo this, do this first tattoo and I'm realizing we're not clicking, right? We're not bad enough. They threw us in like episode three of the season. So we got thrown into the house throughout the season, right? (sighs) I'm looking at everybody else's work and I'm like, they've already had three episodes to iron out all the kinks me and you we did this tattoo we're already at the bottom on our first episode in i remember telling him after we actually like got through the eliminations that night and then he gets at home i looked at him right off camera off camera we weren't mic'd i said d i'm letting you know right now we're not going to win right (laughs) but what i'm going to do is i am going to do everything to keep the attention of the cameras. And I am going to try to mind fuck everyone in this house. So you can either join me and get this camera time or not to each his own. (laughs) (laughs) And for the rest of the season, I did everything I can to just be as confrontational (laughs) as I could. How long did you last? Three episodes. (laughs) But... (laughs) I will say, if you go back and watch those three episodes, every single one of them was mine. That's awesome. Hey, man. And that's, I mean, you know, that is one of those things where it's like when you're on that show, and and I don't know if it was like this with you, but I'm pretty sure they do this to everyone. They lead you to believe that if you don't stir up any controversy, they're going to give you the boot, which I understand. I mean, the fact of the matter is you're talking about this is a multi-million dollar production if they don't make that money back because everyone on the show is just being, you know, vanilla and they're just sitting there doing their tattoos and they're all happy with each other, then that's it. The show doesn't go on. So they need that. So they're sitting there instigating to, and, and let us know. I mean, did they do the, the thing that you guys, what they did with us where they were like, all right, we're recording from 8 AM to 8 PM. If you guys give us enough fucking drama, they didn't say it in those words, but they, if you give us enough fucking drama, we'll cut the cameras off at six or seven so you guys can actually live your real lives. Oh, wow. No, they did not do that for us. Um, so I felt like they weren't pressed to do that for us because from what I recall... You gave it to them. Huh? Because <laughs> you gave them everything they wanted. Well, we gave them everything, but from what I recall... Of Ink Master behind the scenes history, you messed up leaving the studio for everybody. 
So there was no life for us to live past any hour. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that wasn't real. It was more Steve than it was me. Steve, I mean, this is the, the, the story goes <laughs> they let us hang out. They let us hang out one time and we weren't allowed to see anyone. But of course, Steve and I hooked up with, you know, hit up our girlfriends and told them to meet us out while we were hanging out. Everything was fine. We hung out with our girlfriends and we were just going to go back. Everything was fine. Steve wanted to sit there and bring his girlfriend to the, the, the artist wrangler. Steve fucking ratted us out. And I was like, Steve, what are you doing? And Steve ended up ratting us out. But of course, cause Steve and I were the front runners on the show was like, what are they going to do? Kick us off. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't kick both of us off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was fucking Steve, man. Steve was like drunk off his ass, and he ended up bringing his girlfriend back to the the artist handler. And the artist handler, of course, told uh, Andrea, 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 what's her name? Andrea. Andrea. Andrea, yeah. It's told Andrea, and then of course Andrea sat down and let us know that that wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. So it wasn't my fault. That was a Steve fault. Whatever. That it was, was a- my fault that you couldn't drink because because <laughs> I got so <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> On season two, that I, I like, I remember I was puking all over the place, and I blew a, uh, I blew a blood vessel in my eyeball, and I couldn't record for like three days until it healed because, of course, they have to act like it's the same day on everything, yep. and you know you can't be sitting there talking about, oh man, I hate that dude, and then all of a sudden you got a blown blood vessel in the <laughs> next scene. <laughs> what happened to him? <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> he must have gotten a fight. Well, so yeah, that. That, we got an master uh, exclusive on what happened behind the scenes. Well, I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely Steve. I'm gonna have to call his ass out on that. <laughs> they're, they're telling you guys, they're telling you guys it was me. I guarantee, I, I promise you, it wasn't me. I think it was one of the producers that said it too. So it's oh, not like okay, he said okay. it. Got it, got it, got it. All right, so you ready to move on, or do, yeah. we, do we got any more drama to talk about on season three and nine? Nah, nah, nah. We good on three and nine. Oh, what about your redemption? Nah, season nine. Season nine was so interesting. It was so short for me, but it was so so much fun. I remember one Who'd time. You have on that season. Who was on that season that that you when you got on there, you're like, well, I ain't winning that one. Um, that was DJ and Bubba's season that they won. Um, oh, yeah, Clean, Clean was on there, right? Clean was on there. Lalo was on. Lalo. There. All of them came in after I was already eliminated. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. I think me and Lalo had on. Had one episode together. You know what? Another, I, Lalo and I did a collaborative mural one time, and we almost killed each other. It's talking about how people people struggle with collaboration. And that's off game. Lalo and I did a collabo, and I just remember I wanted to fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Where was it at? Uh, we did it. It was up in Worcester, Connecticut. Okay. We did it for this thing called uh, Powwow Hawaii. Or sorry, Powwow Hawaii throws this thing uh, called Powwow Worldwide, and they started branching into different cities. And, and this one was called Powwow Worcester. So it was a really cool mural. I was really happy with it. I love the collaborations that Lalo and I have done. We've done a lot of collaborations together, but man, I think both of us want to kill each other by the end of them. It's healthy competition. <laughs> <laughs> we're just very both of us are very stubborn very stubborn and he you know and i have a lot of respect for him i don't know if you know he was a pretty uh prolific and and well-known um uh, abstract artist prior to being a tattoo artist so he got paid lots of money to do paintings and uh i, I absolutely i have a lot of respect for artists who are able to do abstract artwork that actually works 
because whenever I try to do abstract, it just doesn't feel right. It feels a little forced. It doesn't feel, um, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't, I don't know how to throw intention behind it that makes sense, you know, and, and abstract is more than just throwing paint on a canvas where, yeah. you know, some of the things that Lalo's taught me about abstract is, you know, you want to create tension, which is the same thing you want to do in an illustration too, is you want to create tension. You want to have cold colors versus warm colors, you know, vertical lines versus horizontal lines, uh, soft versus hard, you know, um, dark versus light, you know, texture versus non-texture. And that was some stuff that I learned from, from Lalo that was, was, uh, that I have brought into my work, but got a lot of respect for the guy, but fuck man, I wanted to kill him that day. <laughs> I'm sure the mirror came out dope though, because of your tension. It did. It did. The friction, the, 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 the tension that he was talking about was seen in the mural. That was for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So redemption. So when you came back for redemption, was that a, a, an aggressive episode or was it pretty smooth? Um, I came in with like cool, calm, positive energy. Uh, I could tell the producers riled up my um, client to come in on some like rah, rah, rah. But it was definitely for me like a, let me give, like kill you with kindness. Let's smile. Yeah. Let's be happy. And like you saw his like flame just like diminish. <laughs> Dude, you're, you're doing the wrong thing, man. You want more airtime. You got to create that conflict. I think it worked out for me. Because the conflict was me combating his conflict of energy. Right, right, right. It's a roller coaster. You got to give him a high and a low. Normally, it's usually a low to a high. I was just a high to a low. You were playing the verbal judo with him. Yeah, it worked. Taking his words and just taking the energy out of him. It worked. I saw him just get lost in what to do. I'm like, exactly. Enjoy this tattoo. Let's get into the black ink, man. I want to hear about that because, you know, of course, since Lalo is one of my best friends and he was married to Melody and they got a kid together, I've heard so many great things about black ink (laughs) and how great they are at stirring shit up on the back end of that show. So I want to hear. So you've been on there. Did did your season already record? Has it aired? Yes. All the above? All of the above. Um, I think I might have one or two more green screens coming up, but other than that, we're already airing. Um, we had our season premiere last week. Um, we air on Mondays at 8 p.m. on VH1. And following... Yo, I, I need Black Ink to kick me some money for that. You're going to sit there and advertise like that. They better start throwing some sponsorship money in this fucking pod space. As soon as I can get my feet solidified, you know, we could work some things in there. Easy. Sounds good, man. Um, so who's on that show now? I know almost every person I know has been on that show at some capacity. At least everyone who who fits the demographic of that show. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, who's on the show right now? There are there's only a few people from the old cast. Um, during filming, we call them the OGs, and we were the newbies. But um, they're rolling out. They, I feel like they're really trying to roll in a whole new generation of like of a crew to keep the torch going. And I really think the season is going to be big for the viewers that are fans of the show. I think it's going to create a space for people that haven't watched the show to watch the show just off of the dynamic of how they choose chose to um move the story. Um so this season, I could talk about it actually because it already aired last week. 
Uh, the premise of this season is Ted and Puma looking for a shop to house a new crew because I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of Caesar's controversy and the network cutting ties with him. So, like, we can legally not... What, what controversy are you talking about? All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had a situation, like a, a very unfortunate now. situation, I'll say, with um, a video being leaked of Caesar beating one of his dogs. Now, do I condone in that violence? No. But I will say it's extremely unfortunate only because the footage was from years prior to, and it was leaked out of spite. So, you know, it's not even that the person that leaked the video cared that the dog was getting beat. They just did it to spite Caesar. For sure. You know? And are, do you know Caesar? Yeah. Because I heard he, I, I, somebody told me he was supposed to be opening up a tattoo shop here in Richmond. Did you hear anything about that? Richmond, Virginia? <sighs> I hear about it. I can't remember where I heard it. I remember hearing that, that he was supposed to be open. I've never met the guy before, so I have no skin in the game. But uh, of course, I heard that story. So that's a, a definitely something that I don't condone either. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the fact that I don't know him makes it that much easier for me not to condone it. <laughs> oh boy! But yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Tedaboom was looking for a. Um a shop to put us in and in the midst of them looking for a shop, but you know, it takes a while to build out a shop if you want to do it properly. Um, we get a new crew together and um, they house us. So we're actually living together during this process. Interesting. So wait, so who are the, the, the characters again? Cause I'm not really familiar with the show. Okay. Um, um, so I watched it one time when that one time I watched it, uh, there was no tattooing, and one of the dudes, I guess, uh, took some chick at the bar into the bathroom and banged her. Oh, that's Alex. Then, he still films with us. And then they almost fought at a pool the next day. Yeah. And and I was like, I, this is like another another uh, uh, New Jersey Shore show, and I was like, I got to get off of it. It's 10 seasons strong, though. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah, that. man. I mean, hey, I'm not knocking it. I'd probably absolutely love to watch this show if I actually, like, <laughs> if I got into it. I'm sure I would totally love it. Um, you know, like I said, I know Melody. Uh, I know Lalo. I know uh, Kevin Leroy. Uh, yeah. So I know some people who have been on that show. And uh, every single one of them, uh, I think, walked away a bit damaged afterwards. <laughs> it's a different kind of damage than Ink Master. I think Ink Master is like so, an artistic damage. Black Ink is a moral, psychological mental challenge. challenge. Damage. I saw that. I saw that. Uh, man, what was that? What was that girl's name? Um, I know her. I, I'm going to sound horrible not knowing her name, but the one who uh, copied the tattoo and they they basically outed her on the show. On, on Black Ink. That was her name. Yeah, yeah. I and I remember know. she got outed on the show for for putting up a tattoo that wasn't hers. But I just remember being like, God, man, that has got to be the most embarrassing thing to get outed on national TV for. The crazy thing is, I really do enjoy the rawness of it. Because I don't feel like that's something that Ink Master would even allow the space to be created for. And situations where, you know, people copying tattoos, that really happens in tattoo shops. Sure. 
You know, it's like I mean, I haven't done Ink Master. What are you talking about? <laughs> when? <laughs> are you kidding? Tracing. Oh, Sorry, I had a phone call. There's there's plenty of people that uh, were caught tracing other people's artwork and trying to push them off. The funniest part was on season two, and I'm not going to out any of the guys on because um, they're all my friends. But like, one of the guys on season two actually copied. A, a drawing he just like you know because that's that's what happens in the tattoo world people are used to like tracing stuff anyways he traced this drawing and he tattooed it and then he got called out on it and someone was like look you copied this tattoo and my friend was like i didn't copy the tattoo i copied the drawing which means that the other guy copied that drawing as well <laughs> but everybody was like everybody was was uh borrowing other people's artwork on that show and i just i remember being so frustrated because you know i come from a world where we draw absolutely everything out of our heads all the time and i just haven't been in that world where people are tracing stuff and i remember getting on the show and just watching people trace everything and of course i'm not going to call them out you know like i don't that, that's not my i don't feel like that was my place to do it plus like i said i like those people um but yeah it was a very interesting thing to see happen so and they could have i think they could have called it out on ink master if they wanted to but i didn't feel like that was the direction they were trying to go yeah i think starting my season they probably um only allowed us to use i think shutterstock photos mm. yeah that was probably because of the things that happened on my season matter of fact no i, re I remember hearing um on season one i remember i think um Damn, what the hell? My brain is going crazy right now. The, who's the guy that won season one? I'm glad you can't Ink Master Trivia. <laughs> Shane O'Neill. Shane O'Neill, yes. That's who it was. Shane O'Neill uh, ended up you know, winning on a um, – I think it was a Varga girl or something like that. Like he basically copied a Varga girl, which is you know, totally fine. He's a reproductive artist reproducing a pinup girl. Uh, it wasn't like he was copying another person's tattoo or whatnot, but I guess some sort of legal popped up because of that. And then past that point, they had a, everyone using Shutterstock um, and, mm -hmm. and shit. Nowadays, can you imagine going on Ink Master now with AI? You could essentially just AI generate whatever drawing or whatever they want and just copy that shit. And there's no copyright issues there at all. You know, it's just an integrity thing at that point. I kind of do want to start um generating artwork more so for inspiration yeah so let's say you know i generate something and then i could recreate that i mean i think at least plenty of times like people have come to me with an idea that i feel like would look dope but i won't know how to put it together exactly so if i could throw it in that let it give me some ideas and then i recreate from that i really think it's really going to push composition to another level. Yeah. I was actually talking to a couple artists in my shop about, you know, bringing it in on the consultation process. You know, if someone comes in and they're like, I want, I don't know, a teddy bear tattoo. Then you can sit there and generate a ton of teddy bears and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? You like this one? You like this one? And then once you get a base down, then you can take that drawing and kind of work from it as inspiration, as a, as a reference for whatever you create. Um, yeah. You know, artists who enjoy drawing but even though you got all these reproductive artists out here i don't see any issue with them putting together a generated 
piece of art and then just tattooing it verbatim. You know, what's the difference between them doing that and copying a photo? You know, it's the same thing. Easily. It's going to happen. It's what people are going to do. I, f- I feel like tattoo artists are just, there's different levels. Not to say levels meaning some are higher than others, but I just feel like there are certain artists that hold the craft to just different statures, and that's just how they live by. I feel like down to the types of machines, there are artists that are married to the coil and will never leave the coil. I don't feel like that makes them any lesser, but you're just married to your process. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting watching all this unfold. I think the, the caliber of art is is definitely going to raise. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to get to one of those situations where, uh, you know, drawing is not as necessary to uh, create a good piece of artwork, unfortunately. I mean, I you know, I'm going to miss those days. But I think that, you know, when you have a person who can apply a tattoo very well and all they got to do is generate a piece of artwork and then apply that, I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop them from getting uh, those those accolades that an artist back in the days would have gotten by drawing that from scratch. I feel like from the outside in, meaning like, you know, collectors versus actual tattoo artists. I feel like from the outside in, they don't really care about what happens pre-tattoo as much as we do. I feel like we keep that level of judgment amongst each other, but to the client, they're just looking at a tattoo. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they as long as they walk out with something they're happy with, they don't care yeah. what it took to get from point A to point B. Yeah. So, question, being that we're on this AI topic, I don't know if you want to stay here, if you want to pivot, but... Hey man, I talk about AI every day. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it, it's it's gonna it's it's the the elephant in the room per se. Oh, I love it. So with everything that's happening with these um, image generators, with how digital artwork has worked its way in art, period. Like if you think about it, there's a whole generation of tattoo artists that have not done a stencil off of an iPad, you know, like we still know how to make hand stencils. There are generations of artists that don't know how to make a hand stencil now. Now, do you feel that we're going to enter a space to where digital and AI art is going to be such the standard that it's going to increase the value in paper and sketches and fine art? Because it'll become such a rare thing to just have or do. I think it will. I just think it's going to, you know, it's going to take a while. You know, you're going to have this wave that comes in and everybody's going to be all about the AI. It's kind of probably like albums uh, and and stuff like that. It's like once CDs came out and then once the, the streaming came out, it's like nobody really buys albums anymore. But when they do buy them, they hold more value. Uh, you know, I, I shit. I, I remember selling my uncle's uh, record collection, and you know, it wasn't a ton of money, but I remember getting a nice chunk of money uh, because you know, it was, there's people out there that'll collect it, and it's a tangible thing. And there's still a lot of people out there that like having that tangible thing uh, to represent what it is that they own. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a big collector of tangible artwork as well. But I think there's going to be more people that just don't give a shit. 
You know, I think that you and me and, you know, the, the inner circle of humans who enjoy artwork will appreciate those things, but I just don't think it's going to be the masses, you know, and, and I think that's going to cause a, a, a rift for sure. What do you think we can do as fine artists to help push the quality and value of fine art? Because it's great that us as artists that take it seriously understand the value in it. But at the end of the day, we need our clients and collectors to understand that. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely not not trying to like, well, I, I draw everything on the skin. And I think that that will become more appreciated as people are not doing that. And I think that, you know, even now I feel like some of my collectors really enjoy the fact that I'm drawing right on the skin because they can see anything that I'm referencing, you know, they can see anything that I'm not referencing, referencing, they can see the process happening in front of them. So I think there is a different type of appreciation there. And I'm sure as, um, as AI starts taking over and people stop, start forgetting the, the lost art of art, you know, I think that that will become more impressive over time because I do think that eventually people are just going to start leaning on AI so hard that they're going to forget how to do regular art and anyone who can still do it past that point is going to have more value yeah. to the inner circle. Once again, I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't give a shit. They'll go down to TJ Maxx and they'll buy a painting that was made by a machine and hang it on their wall and it'll be the best painting in their house. And they're totally happy with it because it matches their furniture. Uh, whereas, you know, someone like yourself, I think would much more appreciate uh, an original painting from an artist that you appreciate, uh, because you'll, you know, because you want a piece of that time that they spent, you know, That's a fact. I don't know if that answered your question, but it did. this interview ain't about me. It's about you, man. What do you think? I'm what a host as well. I interview people as well. So it's just <laughs> natural. I'm sorry. I know. I, I had Kyle on the show too, and Kyle kept trying to take the driver's seat. And I was like, dude, get the fuck back in the passenger seat. This ain't think before you eat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. So, yeah, what do you think we could do? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it would be wise for us as artists to really, yes, number one, understand these technologies, learn how to use them just to make sure that we are just as advanced as people that do not have the ability to create with their hands. I feel like it'll give us an extra leg up, but I do think we need to create a lot more spaces with clients and collectors to keep reintroducing them into a fine art space just so they will understand as they're watching AI and tech take over the art industry, they will always be reminded and have the appreciation of the actual groundwork and just the magic of watching someone take something out of their head and produce it through their hands. I think those are the spaces we need to expose them to. I think you drawing your tattoos on people's skin is a great way, a great experience to expose people to that process and how much work really comes before that finished product. Because the regular person that doesn't know art, 
that is walking through Target to get that piece of artwork, nine times out of 10, doesn't even understand why that $20 print is not worth or shouldn't be worth as much as this $2,000 hand drawing because to them, they might look exactly the same. I, so I think like exposing people to the creative process is going to be extremely important for us to do to really keep a grasp of the masses. Yeah, I hope you're right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure eventually, you know, I think it's going to be like anything. I mean, you know, you look at like the Sistine Chapel, you know, it's like someone to paint the Sistine Chapel nowadays would have to not have the internet because <laughs> yeah. the internet is just such a fucking time suck, you know? And it's like when you look at these massive paintings that like Rubens did, you know, have you, you know who Rubens is? It's, he, he's doing these like, 20 foot by 10 foot paintings uh i I remember going to the prado museum in in madrid spain and he's got like hundreds of these you know 20 by 10 foot paintings just hundreds of them and you're just like who the fuck would have enough time to do that much work nowadays you know it's just not i think everybody's spending too much time on candy crush and scrolling you know mindlessly through instagram you know it's like they just the time ain't there, you know? You have to completely have the self-control to just turn all that shit off. Not to mention the fact that you can do, you can listen to any fucking song, watch any fucking movie, movie, play any fucking video game, any time of the day, for as long as you want, for eternity. So at this point, it's more of a discipline game. How much are you willing to, to give up, in a way, to create this art and to do these things? And the way it's going with AI, AI is going to fucking roll us right into a situation where we don't have to give up shit. AI is going to fucking clean our houses for us and do all this shit. And we're going to be hooked up to a little, you know, some tubes that feed us stuff. And our brains are going to be hooked up to create batteries for AI to do all that stuff for us. And it's going to be a real crazy (laughs) future we got going on. Yeah. I think there's ways we can align ourselves with it, though. So let's say for the simplest, at, at at the simplest level. Um, for those who actually do create original artwork, as small as recording a time lapse, letting it go through a AI video generator, and then it let it fade out into your actual original product. Like doing things that's going to grab the mind of the person that is in tune with AI, enjoys AI, but then reel them back into the world of fine art somehow. Or if you're doing like a split screen of like an AI thing generating and you doing a time lapse of a piece to kind of like create the competition between the physical artist and the AI artist. Like I think we could play in the space. I don't think we should shun the space. I think we need to figure out ways to work with it and use it as an opportunity to grab the people who love the AI artwork and just bring them into the space of the original artwork and get them to appreciate both. Dude, don't get me wrong, man. I'm not. I'm definitely not gonna be one of those people who shuns it. I'm definitely gonna, know you know, do the same thing I've done with. What's that? I know that. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, I've always tried to ride the waves of progression. You know, when the, when the rotary machines came out, uh, you know, and everybody was hating on those. Uh, my buddy Jason 
uh, was started using them and then I was using them shortly after and I just never looked back, you know, and, and when the, 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 um, iPads came out, I started going digital and I never went back. And that's kind of a fear of mine too, is like, I haven't picked up a sketchbook in a long time and it's kind of sad for me. You know, it's like it, it, knowing that, I, I, used, I mean, I've probably got, you know, 15 sketchbooks filled front to back tons of sketches it's almost like a piece of my history i can sit there and i can look at one of those sketches and tell you where i was when i drew that piece of art and you know what i was thinking and, and who my client was and all that now i have an ipad and it's all stuck in these folders and sometimes i'll do a sketch and i don't really like it and i'll delete it or i'll you know uh yeah i'll delete it and it's not there anymore and it's like my sketchbooks have all my best art and all my worst Worse. art and it's all stuck in there i mean i could have ripped it out if i wanted to but i just never did but i got these you know kind of like you can see the the human mind working yeah um so i'm, I'm just you know i'm not jumping off the wagon and i'm not gonna put my dig my heels in and be like i'm not gonna be a part of this movement but it is a tad bit sad to know that we're we're moving in a direction just less human less intimate um and that that kind of concerns me a little bit you could always start your like drawings and designs on sketchbooks that's what i usually do at this point i'll draw it on a sketchbook then take the picture of it and do it on procreate yeah but then how do you how do you like zoom in on it and how do you like make the head bigger than the body if you didn't make it big enough you can't do that dude you, you can't if i do it on sketch <laughs> So what if I sketch it on paper and take a picture of it? Uh -huh. I could trace over it on different layers. I'll do the head on a different layer than I'm tracing the body. Like, bless you. There's there's so many ways. Like I don't know because I definitely know what you mean, and I know how you feel about like being so iPad heavy that you really miss the touch and just the longevity and history of a sketchbook. Because I've definitely like I've dug myself in that hole, which is why. I'll try to now sketch before putting it on the iPads because it does feel crazy. Like not having that piece of your life documented anymore. And I feel like it first really hit me once I got a new iPad. Cause you know, like the procreate files don't just automatically switch over. So it's like, damn, I don't have my procreate files on this. Sheesh. Then I'm like, damn, if I lose this iPad, I have none of these sketches. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Well, that's the good thing uh, about the, the NFT stuff. You meant yeah. those, they're going to be there forever. Unless yes. you decide to dig them back out. So. Yes. Um, so now with NFTs, I don't know how much you want to dig into this. I know you could talk about these for days, and I don't know what type of content you want to talk about on this platform. But We can talk about whatever you want. And if you don't <laughs> want to talk about, we don't have to talk about. You know, this is your interview, man. So I'm just here as the host. I've always felt that once NFTs started to roll out commercially, that art was really just the taste tester for NFTs. Like I looked at the space like gentrification. Anytime a neighborhood's about to get gentrified, they bring in artists, they do murals, they make the place look beautiful with no liability. Let's see who bites on this area with no risk, right? I felt like they were doing that with us. And with me looking at it in that space, I'm like, all right, What's next? What are they setting this system up for on our backs, right? The first things I was thinking about was insurance in, the, in regards to where, let's say, 
you are buying this car as an NFT. Somehow, some way, there's some chip connected to something in this NFT kind of form. Everything being, it, I feel like it would be like a, a heightened GPS, in a sense, to the fact to where it can record all documentation it would need to, to now really make a clear assessment on what happened in this car accident, who's liable, what condition this driver was in. And it would just eliminate all type of car insurance fraud in any kind of, in any kind of way. I've also was thinking about, which is why I'm segueing into this, guns and gun control. Now, if we're buying guns as NFTs that are fingerprinted, so only where you can, as the owner, pull this trigger, you're buying these bullets as NFTs and everything is extremely tracked and recorded on this blockchain in some type of way, geographically through GPS or whatever the case may be, I feel like that's going to be a space to where they can get more of a handle on gun regulations with allowing Americans to have their freedom to bear arms. It's just more so, all right, now I know exactly who this gun belongs to and I know exactly who these bullets belong to. So even if you didn't pull that trigger because those gun, those bullets didn't go to that gun, how this person get your bullets? And it'll just create an easier pipeline to keep control of people and how they're using their firearms. And what I thought was extremely interesting was that I think last week or the week before, one of the news broadcasters had mentioned one of these states trying to implement some type of um, trigger sensor to make sure that the owner of these guns are shooting the guns. What do you think about that? Dude, you just, uh, you just threw a whole bunch of shit out there that I'd love to bite on. Uh, but the, and I know what I'm about to bite on. Nobody probably gives a fuck about. <laughs> but the part that I'm interested in digging back on is the gentrification side of things. So when you started talking about them bringing in art to gentrify an area, my question to you is, do you think people are bringing in art to gentrify an area? Or do you think that artists, because they typically don't have a lot of money, they move into these, you know, lower income areas and then they start decorating it. And then because they decorate it, then you know, it starts sparking more interest for the people with more money to come in and, and, you know, gentrify it per se. I think it's quietly strategic. Um, yeah. So I have a studio, like my, my workspace is in Bushwick, Brooklyn, but depending on the real estate agent, they'll, t they'll say it's Williamsburg. Now, there are a few buildings over here of mine that are being um, torn down to being, to be redeveloped. A few of these people in these buildings that own the buildings were granting artists residency in the buildings. You know, it's like, why choose to target an artist for a residency and knowing what you plan on doing with this building? Have you have you heard of Bushwick Collective? Yeah. Yeah, they're out there. They got that whole um, that whole street art festival. It's pretty rad. Some really good artists out there. Yeah. The only reason I'm, I'm questioning you on this, and, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I've seen a lot of scenarios. For example, um, so that Pow Wow Hawaii company or uh, group that I told you about, 
So what they did is they there's this place called Lana Lane or um what is it called Kakaaku Kakaaku I don't I don't know how to pronounce it but anyways it's out in um Kakaaku anyways uh, it's out in Hawaii and it used to be you know a relatively I don't know if I'd say impoverished area but it wasn't really you know expensive to live in and so these guys they ended up renting this this uh, warehouse in the middle of Kakaaku and they they started their mural festival and they started bringing in some of the best muralists in the entire world to start painting around there. And these are just normal guys like you and me. They're not rich guys who are trying to develop the, the, the land around them or there's no real estate investment for them or anything like that. So they basically started decorating this space. And when they started decorating the space, then all these businesses started moving in because it started bringing people around and got so much so that they ended up gentrifying themselves. <laughs> so the, the amount, the, the price of the original warehouse that they, that they're in was getting super expensive because it was starting to bring in these developers. And, you know, that's, that's one scenario. And then you look at something like Art Basel, you know, Art Basel down in Miami it's kind of the same scenario. You've got, you know, this massive mural festival that happens down there, you know, every December. Yeah. And, you know, it, it started off as a bunch of just artists painting during Art Basel. And then you got some high-end developers that started moving in. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just uh, got the wool pa- pulled over my eyes. But most of the scenarios that I've seen is typically a, a bunch of artists who are just trying to decorate shit. And, you know, most people in... in you know, well-off neighborhoods typically don't want you painting their walls, but the people in the more ghetto neighborhoods would allow you to paint their walls. And it's almost like a, a you know, kind of a, a symbiotic situ- situation where, you know, the, the they're decorating the walls. I wouldn't say, I guess it's not symbiotic for the artists and the people who own, you know, the people who uh, are living in the property there, but the people who own the property there yeah. get a nice piece of artwork on their wall. The artist gets to put art on the wall and then, uh, you know, and then the price of the, the property starts going up because the interest of the space goes up. I feel like it's one of those, um, which comes first is the chicken or the egg come first scenario. Right. And, you know, for all I know, you're, you're completely right. I mean, especially up in New York, man, I think it's New York is a is a great place where you've that cycle that we're talking about has happened a zillion times. You know, it's not like it's a new city in a new part of a city. It's like how many times in New York has a large area like Williamsburg got devoured by murals. And then next thing you know, nobody can afford to live there anymore, you know, mm-hmm. or, or uh, Queens, isn't it? Queens, Queens is like Island that. City. Yeah. And, and uh, the Bronx, I mean, all those, yep. they get devoured by, by a bunch of artists and, uh, and, and they kick up murals all over the place. And next thing you know, it's where everybody wants to live. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just interesting to me. And I know like, NFTs was not going to be the the landing place for artists as far as the space isn't just created for artwork. Yes, artists can take advantage of it, but I just felt like we as artists were pushed that platform um, just to develop it for a bigger reason. Sure. I mean, the the use of NFTs is pretty pretty thick man there's a lot of different opportunities there i mean i've, I've said it a million times i think you could pretty much get rid of the library of congress 
in, in the whole copywriting mm -hmm. aspect of the Library of Congress mm -hmm. because of NFTs. I mean, people can start minting their artwork before they put it on Instagram or put it out mm -hmm. in the world and say, I own this. And there's no debating that because there is a ledger that communicates that that can't be broken. So, I, you know, that and even possibly the, the patent uh, patents, you know, mm -hmm. any, any patents that are out there uh, could be put on the blockchain and there's no disputing it past that point. Problem is, is we got to wait for, we got to wait for the, uh, the system to catch up. How long do you think it's going to be before lawyers and, and courts and stuff will recognize that as, uh, you know, copyrighted material? I give it five years. Five years. Right. I think you heard it here. May yeah. 22nd. I think 2023, um, 5.55 p.m., made rich, has made a prediction. 5.55, 5 is my favorite number, too. Look at this. This is, remember this. There it is. It's all Book, coming together. Bookmark this episode in a folder, star it, so you know. You know when this it's happens happening. to go back and check. Um, Damn, what the fuck was I just, I was just about to say something. I think it was important. <laughs> the 5.55 kind of got, got me excited. You're saying you think it's going to happen in five years. You're talking about oh. guns. You're so I really feel like um, chat GPT expedited um, just the courts trying to regulate this space. Like, I feel like that the use of chat GPT and how like these schools are trying to regulate the use of it among students. I feel like that really like raised the flag for all bodies of all in the administration to really understand how important it is to have a legal system digitally. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm really worried about the government's ability to keep up with this shit. Cause I mean, I don't know if you saw those interviews they were having with Mark Zuckerberg and they're, and they don't even understand social media. It's like, how the fuck are they going to keep up with AI and, and blockchain and shit like that? It's like, they can't even get the basics. I, didn't I mean, see it, that. It, that would scare I think, me. In the future, we're going to be looking at, you know, basically tech companies are going to end up running the world because they're going to have these fucking robots that could just tell a politician if he doesn't agree with them, then he can just suck it and they kill him. <laughs> or now push this even freaking further. My, my lawyer's an AI bot. You don't know the law more than him. Right. And they control the law at that point. I mean, you give them, give them the keys to the, the law, and before long, they are the law, right? Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, man. With the way Apple I'm, I'm definitely too, they just rolled out that savings bank. Like, Apple is so much more than just a phone company. <laughs> Dude, Apple is definitely, I mean, they're about to release some shit. I, uh, I know that um, they've got a bunch of things that are on the docket that they haven't talked much about. You know, one of them is the uh, augmented reality and the VR headsets. Yeah. The other one they haven't talked about for a while is the car. You know, they, they were talking about making a car like five years ago. And as far as I know, it was under production, but I haven't heard anything about it at all. Um, so that's going to be interesting if they move into that market. Yeah, I know that they have also under wraps been in the, um, what's it called? Not pharmaceutical. But like in the medical space. Mm. Are you sure it's them? Because I know Amazon was talking about opening up a bunch of little um, mini clinics or something like that. I'm 76% sure. 
<laughs> right, I'll take it. I'll take it. I ain't trying to fight with you. I, I don't even fucking know, but I just that they're, they're I don't recall hearing anything space. about that. We're gonna have to get uh we have to get uh our Jamie to figure that out for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk Sam, get Sam to get Sam to fact check for us. Yeah. Um, but all right, so let's go. Let's go to this gun thing, right? This gun regulation <laughs> thing, because I know that's a I that's another one that I you did. brought up. Hey, and, and dude, I'm I'm a I'm definitely not a gun fan. You know, I, I definitely have not been a big big advocate for guns, but I do remember. So I was in, uh, I did a study abroad in London, England, and I was over there for a year and I was in this class. Um, it was, believe it or not, you ever heard of Cambridge, Yeah. the, the college Cambridge. So mm-hmm. I was actually in one of their classes and it was, uh, this class called philosophy, the, the philosophy of moral ethics. And we had to write a report on, you know, whether guns should be legal or not. And out of the entire class, I was the only person who was writing against guns like i was you know we're, we're in london england guns are illegal there and i was i've never been a big gun person but i think the interesting part about it is if you and i'm sure you're like this you probably definitely don't don't hold hard on one side but if you listen to both sides i feel like both sides have a point but i feel like a lot of times what happens is we end up can you hear me made Sorry. i can see i can hear my you. phone cut off for a second all right, cool. Um, I feel like a lot of times people feel like they need to like choose a side and stick hard on it. And I think we can all agree that, uh, that gun regulations to an extent are worth having. But I think that the, the fear that people who are heavy into guns have is that if the powers that be have full understanding of who has what gun and how many guns they have, that there is a potential that they could take them from you. And I, I think that that's a valid concern as well. So, the, and, and I'm a, a firm believer in accountability too. So what you're saying with the triggers and the bullets and everything, all the accountability, I think that that is a great idea. I think the struggle comes in is when you have people uh, who are in a position to take all that from you, uh, knowing that you have all that stuff as well. So is there a way that you can do it in kind of a decentralized way where where you're accountable, but not just one group of humans uh, is in control of whether or not you have those? I would think that if you're anybody that is in danger of getting your weapon seized, then you did something to be in a position to have your weapon seized. Dude, and you know what? I I share that same thought process as you, but I also think that there are situations where in, in, in history where people have gotten their stuff seized and they didn't deserve to get it seized, you know, and, and have been uh have been have have had powers that be that weren't as honest and were able to just take those things from them and you know essentially uh you know dissolve their ability to protect themselves if we are in a space to where that kind of history can rewrite itself then we're fucked already (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know man i don't think it happens i don't think it happens overnight but i definitely uh think it can happen but you know as soon as we start talking about guns people are going to start asking questions and (laughs) We should probably, 
roll this straight into the Q&A section of this uh, okay. interview because we have a fellow named Autism right here that I know is going to start talking about guns with you. And <laughs> I'm interested in hearing what he has to say. So, um, Throw it at us, autism. What you got, man? I know you love some guns. All right. So, I mean, just right out the gate, in the U.S., like, when they build a gun, they automatically fire around already just to get the rifling from the bullet so they can match the ballistics. So it's like they automatically do that. Unless you can build a gun from scratch, like, by hand, machine weld it and do all this other nonsense, which is possible... Every gun is essentially traceable unless, you know, you steal it and scrape the serial number off and all that other nonsense. But it's like guns are already linked. So I've bought in guns that have, you know, empty shell casings in them because they've already fired this brand new gun that I own. Oh. So it's like they're they're tracking it already. And I think the biggest deal is, is you're not going to be able to disarm citizens before you disarm the police you know what i mean like if you want to take our guns you need to take them you need to take theirs first like they have so many other like lethal forces that they can do like if you get shot with a beanbag gun man that I motherfucker hurts boy you know you got tasers you got batons they have um they have taser shields now for riots. Like they, they have so many non-lethal ways that they could go about it to where it's like they don't need to have a goddamn gun. So it's like if you want mine, well, you need to get rid of yours first because then we're not on equal playing field anymore. You know what I mean? And I I, as some, I've owned guns for 20 years, you know what I mean? And I've only ever had to pull a gun on somebody three times in my life. Only. And <laughs> only. <laughs> only is crazy. <laughs> but I mean, if, if, if you three know, times autism, what the fuck? Dude? If you knew where I lived, you would understand. But it's like oh, three times to God. me is a pretty goddamn low number, especially considering, you know, in my neighborhood, kids get shot every day. You know what I mean? You got 17-year-olds, you know, shooting it out on the block. You know what I mean? So for me to only have to pull it out three times out of 20 years, like, those are good fucking numbers because I understand the concept that what I have can take a life. And I understand that I have to live with that outcome after that happens. Yeah. Autism, 
you better you better start rebating some of them acorns so you can move out of that neighborhood. <laughs> hey, man, what they're doing is they're gentrifying my neighborhood, man. They just put a casino up, a stadium up. You know what I mean? Like, yo, they just hired me to come paint a mural in your neighborhood. I think I think they're about to push you out. That they, they wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can already is going up. <laughs> Yep, my neighbors are changing and everything, so I could definitely tell, you know what I mean? Okay. Well, well yeah, that, that's the only way that you're going to be able to, you know, restrict those gun laws. Plus, I mean, let's be realistic. Every country in the world is they're in an arms race. You know what I yeah. mean? I personally don't – I don't think you'll ever see a nuclear missile just because it would just be stupid now. Because it's like you shot off a nuke, everybody, every country has anti-air shit to where they would just shoot the nuke down. So nobody's going to bother using a nuke. They're going to either use like some cyber attack, they're going to hit the financial system, or they're going to go back to like the old school like mustard gas, anthrax, like they're going chemical warfare now. Mm, I feel like they started a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, that's what I mean. They 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 definitely did. They started a couple years ago, and they just gave us a taste of it. So you can imagine how far that they could go with it. But it's like, and then to, I think the real war, the real war is for the internet. Yeah, cyber war. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. That's that's how they're gonna do it. I mean, look at the, the look at the division that they have already. Like they have, you know, so many different, you know, races, ethnicities. They have so many different sexes. They have so many different, you know, public stances that you can take. Like they can't defeat us if we're all one, right? But if they split us all up into these little individual parties, then they can sit there and just mow us down one one at a time. But if we stand together, they ain't taking over shit. And it's so easy to divide us with, with targeted um advertising yeah and that's exactly what they're doing it's it's targeted propaganda advertising like they're they're getting you to lower your guard or to hate your neighbor for no fucking reason just because you know it's said on the internet that you know his car you know pollutes something and you know you're one of those fucking snowflakes that gets all bent out of shape about shit like that You know, but that's what they're setting it up for. So autism, I know you love guns, <laughs> but do you have any questions for me? <laughs> do you own any guns yourself? Only one, just to protect the house. I don't even keep it on my body. What do you got? A Glock. Nothing crazy. Standard. I'm, I'm not a big gun guy. Hey, my man, at least at least you went good, though. At least you went good. If you had told me you got a high point, I would have said, don't shoot yourself. So uh, no, no, no. I, I asked for Let, the, the real, most quality the real standard question. gun. That's all I needed. Yeah, the Glock real question good is, is, how many times have you pulled that? How many times have you pulled that gun out? <laughs> I've pulled I've pulled it out the safe maybe six times to clean it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you're cleaning it, man, mine's been in the safe for like five years. Nah, I need to make you gotta sure. Clean that shit. I gotta make sure that I'll if I need it, it's good. Shit. 
Yeah, you're gonna go to pull yours out, Jesse. It's gonna be rusted shut, man. You need to clean that some bit. You, you know, they come like pre-oiled too, so it's like you gotta wipe that shit down, man. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, I probably should hey. do something with it. This episode is brought to you by Loose Screw Tattoo. If you want to get tattooed by some of the best tattoo artists in the entire world, the best place to do it is right here in Richmond, Virginia at Loose Screw Tattoo. We're located in the heart of Carytown, and we hope to see you soon. Kobe, <laughs> what's up, bud? Oh, we got sound effects? Yo. What's good? Yeah, I'm, I'm the only motherfucker you're going to see coming here with sound effects off the jump. So. <laughs> Do your thing, champ. Do your thing. How you doing today, sir? You know, I'm uh, I was, you know, huge fan of you, you and your boy Jesse over here. Been uh, watching Ink Master for since since the very beginnings. And to be real, I don't I don't watch Black Ink. I don't watch any of those other quote unquote reality shows. My my wife watches too many Real Housewives shows, so I'm I'm I've been uh, I get triggered. I get okay. Um. But but knowing but listening to kind of you know the stories you guys were kind of going through, I might I might check it. I might give it like you know one or two episodes or something like that. You know you, you never know what could happen. You're not um, gonna get this conversation off of Black Ink. <laughs> so you that over okay. it. If you would love to tune in and help with these numbers, that would be appreciated. Cause you know I'm trying to get another season, but um I'm not gonna like sell you a dream and tell you I'm talking to anybody on the show about NFTs in the future and tech. <laughs> oh no! I, I know, I know. Damn well, they ain't gonna be talking about no NFT on, on like live television or on television or something. No, they ain't gonna be talking about that. They're not. They're not ready yet. Facts. <laughs> um, but yo, yeah, Kobe, I, yo, did you meet made it at uh, last year's convention? Do, do you know how many people I missed at last year's convention? So uh, I was about that was gonna be one of my questions. You were there last year. I was I, definitely I was there. there. I, I walked past. I passed by too many damn people. You know, again, that was my very first convention of any kind. Like, I've never been to, like, a Comic-Con or whatever fucking convention you put in. So I was kind of like a... It was like I was in Disneyland mode, yeah. Vegas mode, where I'm just looking at the pretty lights and like, oh, my, I love tattoos. Oh, I seen you on TV. Oh, that's nice. That was was me. So, But this year, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to, you know, do a little bit more mingling and talking with more people other than than James Bond because, you know, him and Josh Payne were kind of just, you know, having a little episode while oh, tattooing. Damn sure um, were. Their canvases in front of us. Yeah. Always. Always. Those yeah. motherfuckers. But, but the conversation, you know, your guys' conversation about Kanye, you know, I, I, I had to I had to come in when you guys were talking about Kanye. I, I really wanted to just, like, hit that request thing coming up. Kobe? Um, you know, I... <laughs> it, it, uh, uh, man. Um... I, I, I'm I'm kind of with both of y'all on that, you know. I I, I kind of I'm I'm an old school. I like old Kanye, but I do like. I didn't think about the whole trolling with the uh with the clothing line. Yeah, made. I'm have to say, you definitely opened my eyes on that because when I first saw Kanye's clothes and something, I'm like, bro, I I saw at least 10, 15 people on Skid Row wearing that same yeah. outfit, like for <laughs> for dirt, dirt, dirt cheap, yeah. like pretty much for free. Yep. So. Okay, I, I'm 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 liking that one, and I must say it's successful. I definitely yeah. must say he definitely successfully trolled it, and I think anybody who reaches that level, right, it is always a method to their madness. Like they don't just do shit just to do shit. I like I like Kobe. I don't, I don't really think they just. <laughs> Kobe, what are you doing? I like man? Kobe. Not... Keep talking, Kobe. Not... 
don't feed that bullshit, dude. There's no fucking way he's that smart. All right. No, now, 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 now. I mean, now again, you have smart and crazy. Now you're talking about someone who came on and said they're bipolar, right? Now, now the craziness. Now I can see the craziness. Now the only thing that I say, me and my wife and other ones, we're huge Kanye fans. Just imagine what happened to his mother, happened to your mother, and that would change your that would change your whole trajectory, your mindset. I would, I'd be fuck everybody. Like if, if that whole shit happened that way, that's how I see it. You know, I'm I'm just speaking from you know my own behalf and just through my lens. Yeah, for sure, man. I but, mean, I, you know, I think so, and I do. I think he's a smart guy. He said some. He just doesn't know how to communicate what he's thinking. I mean, he said a lot of smart things in really dumb ways. <laughs> and, and and then that line we in that line where you said, and she was bleach on her ass <laughs> on my t-shirt, and that would make me a There's no way. That was a fire line. That was and that fire. Was wordplay. That, that was all Kobe. Come have on, you ever man. heard of Lil Dicky? You ever heard of Lil Dicky before? Oh my god, there's no fucking way. I've heard of him. Never listened to him. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that 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 sounds like something little Dicky would come out with. It's just real, like catchy, real, not catchy, but just kind of like wordplay, just funny, you know, funny type stuff. Yeah, I thought it was genius. You know what I mean, yes. I, I, I still laugh on that line. As soon as you said it, I was cracking. Up. <laughs> I'm surprised you remembered it too. Jeffy. I'm not I, surprised, I mean, dude. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think it's funny. I just don't think it's. I just think that is. The epitome of the lack of intelligence behind his lyrics. No, I look at that. I look at him saying that is him tapping into this extremely superficial Hollywood demographic of people that alter their bodies. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's. Dude, I don't. I mean, I. I don't know. I. I. I can't give him the credit, man. I just can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I and typically I'm on the other side of this conversation, but I just can't give him that much fucking credit. I think I just uh, don't now, think he's that I, smart. I one, now, 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 maybe is this the type of conversation that you have with people on on uh, on Black Ink? Because if if so, because again, I you know on Ink Masters, you never really have an opportunity yeah. to really you know just just put put it out there and be you because you know I just hearing you speak as. You know, you were hitting some points like, damn, you know, I'm right, I'm right on capital with this dude's talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. On the right frequency. Yeah. I'd actually, you know, I really fuck with the show. This is, you know, if this is, if we get more of this on there, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a little bit different. So now I will say, just drama. But I'll say that this is just me naturally in any room I'm in, where conversations like this had, yes, but I don't know what conversations are going to air. So. I, I can't I can't call what you're gonna see. But I'm me in every room I walk into. I mean they have an agenda, right? They already yeah. have an agenda of what they want the storyline to be. It's made rich, he's mad, and he's stealing so and so's position. <laughs> somebody's gonna bang oh, somebody's I thought, I thought girlfriend. Somebody he's stealing so and so's girl or something. Nah. Like yeah, I don't play the lady. Above. Game. <laughs> they don't care. I don't play with people's women. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Are you Reed, are you coming out on my show? Is that what's going on here? I never. You will not ever, <laughs> ever. The women, when it comes to three things that I will fight over, it is my women, my money, and my food. Other than that, I do not care. So I do not step on toes when it comes to people's women. Mm -mm. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Just want to make sure Priority. I heard you right. <laughs> Priorities right there. <laughs> Yeah. So no, that twenty-five percent fight, the twenty-five percent, the two times you fought, had to have been over women, never food, or what was the other one? 
Uh, money. Money. One so of those them, are the three things you fight about. Yeah, it wasn't no physical fights. I don't dirty my hands. I got to keep my nails clean. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, arguments. Just <laughs> <laughs> arguments. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do have one question that I ask almost every guest that comes up here. Uh, do you remember what your first tattoo was? Yes, definitely. Um, it was my high school quarterback. He was a very good friend of mine at the time. Um, I tattooed his sister's name on the back of his arm in, in our best friend's bedroom. So it was a collaborative effort. <laughs> and um, it was done well enough to put the battery in my back to keep me going. But no, were you, did you use, like, did you forge your own needles? And, you know what I'm saying? Like, was this the time where... I was not making needles. personally, my first tattoo was, you weren't making needles? Okay. I, I, that's one thing I can't do. I can't make a needle. I can't make a machine, but I can put a machine together. So, that that's can my generation. A, can you put a rotary together? Can you put a rotary together? Dude, my first machine I ever had was a rotary. I made it from a ballpoint pen ah, and motor. That don't count. <laughs> that don't count. I'm t- I want to see you pull together a, a FKI or something. Pull out a part and put that back together. <laughs> wire That'll for wire. take me about five seconds. <laughs> As I thought about it, I'm like, they're actually probably easy to put together. <laughs> well, the actual motor, there's a lot of wrap. Oh, there, yeah. Right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, man. Love the show. Keep it up, Jesse and uh, Full Park Kids team. Pleasure meeting you. Uh, like I guess informally, May Rich. So if you're gonna be in in Virginia this year, I'm definitely gonna. I'll be there. Definitely gonna have to come and give you a fist pump. I'll be yeah, there. Definitely gonna have to ask, see what's up. And um, yeah, you know, let's uh, keep up the good fight. Stay positive, y'all. You know, you know, I'm all about. Yes, yes. Kobe's gonna be there. Kobe did. Uh, he did the karaoke competition last year. I missed that. I was pissed. He was robbed. He was definitely robbed. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know what? I forgot. Kobe, I forgot to ask uh, Cody what he thought about your your performance when he was on here last week because I was interested in hearing what he had to say about it. He's probably going to say I got robbed too. (laughs) I think so, man. Hey, I'll step in this time, I promise. <laughs> but that's only if you do Britney Spears toxic and you wear those pink toxic. buttless caps you were talking about. All I know now is just it's all about showmanship. So you know, oh. last year it was just, you know, knowing the lines, knowing the sound <laughs> and performing it, but now it's showmanship. So just we both know. We both know Phil <laughs> didn't speak any of the lyrics of that entire song oh, and still he won was everything. He was literally making oh, noise man. and just waving that 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 wig that he had on his head. That was it. Oh my god, that was awesome. Yep, I expected <laughs> out of you, Kobe. You better come with the fire this year. Oh yeah, most definitely. But yeah, appreciate it, man. You guys have a good rest of your week and uh, yeah. All right, man. Was a pleasure meeting you, mate. Have a good one. Pleasure meeting you too, brother. Thanks Let's for go coming Lakers. up, Kobe. <laughs> All right. Got- Anybody else got any questions? If not, we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Doesn't look like it. Nate, thanks so much for coming, man. Oh. Uh, is there any – where can people find you, your work, and everything you got going on? Uh, y'all can find me on anything as Made Rich.
I'm going to say anything, but realistically, all I have is Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, my website is artmaderich.com. You can find my artwork, my tattoos, um, and everything that I'm really doing on there. If you want to get in tune with my Think Before You Ink brand, you can go to thinkbeforeyouink.com. That is very much of a media publication platform. I do have a series that I'm rolling out halfway through the summer called Canvas Combos. I got three episodes shot already. I need to get Jesse on one, but I feel like that's on me because I need to set up a videographer in Virginia. But um, we're going to get that in order. Three are shot. I got three more to do, and then I'm going to be rolling that out soon. So um, stay in tune. Nice. Dude, thanks so much for being on the show. And everyone out there who is uh, interested in learning more about Carcaeus and what we got going on, you can go to our Discord channel. It's discord.gg backslash Carcaeus, and that's C-A-R-K-A-Y-O-U-S. And uh, next week, we got a Carcaeus space, so it's going to be dedicated towards talking about our next drop, which is about to happen. It's going to be the Explorers. I'm really excited to share that with you guys. Uh, so it'll just be me. Fuzzy and Jason talking about everything Carcaeus. Actually, no, Fuzzy's off for the week. He's going to go party at some uh, some <laughs> sort of cult thing. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, hope to see you there. And uh, you guys take it easy. Rich, good talking to you, bud. Thanks, Jesse, man. I'll see you soon, brother. If you like tattoos, art, and NFTs, come join our community at discord.gg backslash Carcaeus. That's C-A-R-K-A-Y-O-U-S. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope to see you there.